Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. This week on Hudson Valley Uncensored, we have Dr. Paul Strombaum. He is a surgeon for colon and rectal surgery at Phelps Hospital. Phelps Hospital is with the Northwell Health. Northwell Health, they are a uh, very uh, important sponsor of Halston Media's newspapers. And so we are glad to have him on the show to talk a little bit about colon and rectal surgery and colon and rectal cancer. And that is, I guess, this month, we're in March. Correct me if I'm wrong. I guess uh, March is sort of an awareness month for this, correct? Yeah. So March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, I just want to thank you for having me on as well to talk about this. So if this is uh, our month to kind of encourage people to get out and do their screenings as necessary and bring a little bit of awareness to colon cancer and uh, make sure people are getting the right care. Why is the rate of uh, colorectal cancer increasing in people under 50 and decreasing in people over age 65? I, I noticed that was uh, you know, a statistic with that type of cancer. Yeah, I'm not sure that we have a good understanding of why exactly the rates are increasing in younger people. You know, is it a problem with diets? Is it some other exposure in the environment? Uh, We don't really have a great understanding of why we're seeing it in younger and younger patients, um, but it's definitely something that's been on the rise. Uh, As far as older patients, you know, is it that we're screening better? It is possible. Uh, That is one of the good things about colon cancer screening is that not only can you diagnose colon cancer by getting a colonoscopy, but you can actually prevent it by removing the polyps that are the little growths that can turn into a colon cancer in the future. So it's one of our few tests that we have that can actually prevent a cancer as opposed to just diagnose it. And at what age should people start getting colonoscopies? Yeah. So this is actually something that just changed. Most people, if they know about colon cancer screening, uh, remember that it started at age 50. And just in the past couple of years, they've changed the recommendations to start at age 45. And this is part of the trend that we've seen of seeing younger and younger patients with colon cancer, they drop that age down to 45. People often joke, you know, oh, I have to go get a colonoscopy. You know, is it really that bad or, you know, what's the process for that? Yeah, I'd say the the actual colonoscopy part itself is really not that bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most patients these days are getting some sedation with their colonoscopy procedure. So they're really just taking a brief nap for about 30 minutes. They wake up, they don't really know anything happened. Most of them say it was actually the best nap they've ever had in their life. So the actual process of getting the colonoscopy itself is really not that bad. You're out for most of it. We do our thing, take any polyps out. And then when you're done, you wake up in another room and don't really remember anything from it. Uh, I think the thing that most people probably dread or fear the most is the bowel prep itself, which is a little unpleasant. You're drinking a bunch of liquids to make you go to the bathroom and you spend most of the day in the toilet. And that part can be unpleasant. There's not really any way around it, unfortunately, because we do have to have your colon as cleaned out as possible so that we can see these little growths and take them out and prevent them from turning into something more concerning. Now, I guess you, you touched on this a little bit. You know, are, are there ways to prevent colorectal cancer, you know, such as diet? I mean, there are certainly some risk factors. There's some role in diet. We don't have like a clear cut. If you eat this exact diet, you'll guarantee yourself not to get colon cancer. Uh, certainly a, a healthy and balanced diet is certainly a role in decreasing the risk of any medical problems. Uh, smoking certainly is something that people should quit in general because it's 
several risk factors for cancers and other, you know, cardiovascular diseases. So there are a few things that you can do. And then in the end, screening is the best thing that we can do to prevent colon cancer, like I said. And what may be the symptoms for colorectal cancer? So unfortunately, a lot of patients don't actually have any symptoms at all. Some patients will have some bleeding uh, with bowel movements. You know, they may notice a little change in the quality of their bowel movements. Maybe they've gotten thinner or more frequent, or they may even be having some constipation symptoms. Uh, like I said, some people have bleeding, but a lot of patients won't have any symptoms at all. And that's why we want to catch these early, because if you are having symptoms, it may mean that it's a more advanced uh, cancer and it may be more difficult to, to cure. And I know uh, one statistic, they said, um, I guess, African-Americans had higher incidence rates and higher death rates. You know, is this a, a genetic thing or is this uh, environmental factors or, you know, I'm curious about that statistic. Yeah. I mean, there are probably several factors that are playing a role. Uh, there may be some genetics, there may be some environmental factors, access to screening or the frequency of screening may also play a role. So it's probably a multifactorial problem. And there's certainly several pushes to increase screening within the African-American community to try and prevent these cancers from arising in the first place. Are there any organizations that people can look up, uh, maybe even donate money to charity, any kind of charitable organizations in terms of uh, colorectal cancer? Yeah. I mean, there's several out there. The American Cancer Society has a lot of great programs for cancer in general across the spectrum. Uh, that's probably the biggest one that comes to mind. And they have several programs that will uh, support patients who are going through you know, cancer diagnosis. They have a lot of charitable programs that will help people with transportation for treatments, uh, lodging if they're coming from a long distance from hospitals. And so they, they certainly have a lot of great programs for people. But going back to colonoscopies, if you do find a, a polyp during a colonoscopy, I assume when it's removed, is it tested for cancer? Is that, how, how, is that like a biopsy where it's tested? Yeah. So generally we send off the polyps that we take out. The goal is to remove it entirely at the time of the colonoscopy so that we don't leave a little piece behind that might grow back. We send it off to the pathologist and they cut them up and check them under the microscope, take a look and, and identify what exact type of polyp it is. Because some polyps are completely benign, as in they can't turn into a cancer. And others are the ones that are kind of the precancerous lesions that can potentially grow into something if we hadn't removed them. So if you have a bunch of polyps that are the kind that we worry about, that potentially changes the frequency of colonoscopies after your first one. Colonoscopy is not a one and done and you're free for the rest of your life. It's something that we continue to do really up until the age of 80. Okay. And how frequent should someone who is healthy receive colonoscopies? Yeah. So if we did a colonoscopy and found absolutely no polyps and it was a, a good quality study, uh, most people would recommend sometimes seven to 10 years later. If you were maybe a little unsure of the quality, you might push it earlier to the seven years. Once you start finding polyps, then it's five years and potentially more frequent if you find a lot of polyps. And if they find so many that they can't get them all out, they may be bringing you back within three to six months to re repeat the scope with a longer kind of time blocked out for your procedure to get all the polyps out. And if it is cancerous, what is the treatment? So generally, if you have a diagnosis of colon cancer, we do some staging, meaning we check to see how advanced the colon cancer is. And that usually consists of a, a CAT scan of your chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and then some blood work. And if it hasn't shown that it's spread to anywhere else in your body, then the first treatment really is surgery. And that's potentially curative on its own. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this disease and the prevention? Yeah. I mean, you know, colonoscopy is certainly the most common or the most well-known form of screening. There are several other types of screening out there, uh, especially for people who are hesitant about getting a colonoscopy. I'd still say that colonoscopy is the best 
tests that we have because we can remove the polyps that we find at the time. But in the end, it's important to just get any screening. And if you have a positive test on one of the other ones, like there's some stool tests and stuff like that, you then end up getting a colonoscopy, but that is a way of doing a kind of less invasive test, still getting your screening done and hopefully preventing colon cancer down the road. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Dr. Paul Strombaum, I, I really appreciate your time and all the things that you, you know, you do for your patients and at Phelps Hospital and for Northwell Health. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me and really happy to talk about this. Thanks so much. Take care. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. We have Brian Marshauser, Tom Wallagorski, and Bob Dumas. Together, they are the editors of our five newspapers, Mayapac News, The Somers Record, Yorktown News, North Salem News, and the Katona Lewisboro Times. Um, and I, I would say the big, uh, the big news for Somers, and actually, you know, to be fair, also for Yorktown uh, as well, we, we do have some uh, candidates running for Congress. So uh, I know that was the big story in Somers. Uh, but Tom, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, big news uh, is that um, Councilman uh, Bill Faulkner is uh, going to be throwing his hat in the ring and running for Congress in the uh, the sixteenth district uh, this fall. So it's uh, you know if he officially announces candidacy, he actually had a uh, very well attended rally outside the Elephant Hotel in Somers, formally introduced the candidacies, go through a couple of his policies and everything. So uh, his big things that he's uh, he's running for. I mean, he got the Republican and conservative endorsements. So he's running kind of um, his big platforms are uh, energy independence. He called out President Biden for the uh, cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. He wants federal land for drilling crime. He's uh, definitely very against any defunding of the police, uh, very in favor of border security, wants school tax credits uh, for all Americans and school choice. So, yeah, came out, you know, made some very strong statements. Um, like I said, very well attended rally. And it's uh, good to see somebody from Somers, with, you know, throwing their hat in the ring for this. And uh, it's also something that's going to kind of encompass, you know, some of our other towns and be like an overarching story. Because on the other side of it, he's going to be looking to uh, take on Jamal Bowman, the, uh, you know, the Democratic incumbent who is also going to be primarying uh, somebody from Brian's town in, uh, in Vedette Gashti. So it's going to be going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out coming down the stretch. And Brian, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out pretty soon. It, this isn't like local politics where we have the uh, primaries, you know, in September and then the general election in November. The primary is actually June 28th, I believe, in uh, New York. So it's going to be very quick. Three months from now, uh, we'll find out whether Vidakashi is able to unseat Jamal Bowman in the Democratic primary. Um, so I just spoke to him actually about an hour ago before recording this podcast. and He seems very confident. You know, he thinks the district's in his favor. He uh you know, he took some shots at Bowman, doesn't think his uh, views are aligned with the Democratic Party. He cited his vote against the Biden's infrastructure bill, uh, his vote against the uh, relief package to Ukraine, uh, his constant use of the defund the police and movement, which Vidal says he does not support. He says he called himself a centrist Democrat, kind of like a Biden Democrat. That's that's how he kind of referred to himself. Uh, he thinks he has a legitimate shot to unseat Jamal Bowman in this district. Very interesting. And I actually do want to go back to a, a comment that um, Tom made about Bill Faulkner talking about energy independence, because I know actually Jen Psaki kind of addressed that criticism. I think it's interesting. I'd love to hear what Bill has to say more about it. She didn't address Bill Faulkner directly. She addressed a reporter who, who uh, talked about that. She said that, I guess, um, there's tons of land that oil developers already have and you know that they're not being used. And I know the response that I've heard, you know, critique of what Pisaki said is that just because there's they have these leases of the land doesn't mean that that land actually has oil in it and can be developed. So they actually need more leases 
So I, th- I think the whole issue of energy independence is is very interesting. And I am curious to hear more about what Bill has to say about that. I'd love to hear what Vidat Gashi has to say about that as well. It's interesting that Vidat Gashi said he's a centrist Dem like Joe Biden, because I do feel like Joe Biden has kind of gone to the left. I mean, he spent most, much of his career, I think, in the center, but kind of gone left as a president. So I'm, I'm curious what that means also in terms of whether Vidat Gashi agrees with you know some of uh, President Biden's current stances. So um, anyway, Brian, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about um, some a sewer and affordable housing uh, project in, in your town. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know our time here is brief, so I'll be as succinct as possible on a very complicated issue. Yep. So this get, this goes back over a decade. The, the county was sued for its zoning practices, leading to a settlement with the federal government. Uh, you know, in addition to building 750 affordable units in the least diverse communities in Westchester, the county was told to develop a model zoning code and encourage its municipalities to adopt it. Uh, the zoning code contained uh, what is called a set-aside provision, basically requiring developers of large-scale developments to build affordable housing. So, you know, if you build 100 units, 10% of those need to be affordable. That's kind of the, the, what, what the law states. So right now there's a development in Yorktown, 165 units. If that code was in Yorktown's books, there'd be 16 new affordable units, but it's not. So they're not required to make them anything, but whatever they want, they, could, they can build affordable housing if they want to, but most choose not to. So Yorktown actually repealed its law in 2016 that they did have this law in the books, so it's set aside law, but they repealed it in 2016. Now they're one of a dozen municipalities in Westchester that has not adopted the ordinance. So that brings us to 2021. Yorktown's looking to move forward with this project that would bring sewers to 315 homes in Yorktown. And more than a decade ago, the New York City DEP set aside 10 million for this project. But the county controls the allocation of this fund. So now here lies the disputes. You know, the, the, mm. the, the town said, okay, we want that 10 million bucks to, uh, bring sewers to, the, to Yorktown. And the county said, well, great, adopt that affordable housing code and we can talk. So we were kind of in a six month stalemate where I'm sure there were negotiations behind the scenes. But you know, at the end of the day, um, the county looks like it's kind of backed off its position and, and acquiesced. And uh, Yorktown looks like it's going to get that 10 million bucks. And, I'm you not know, surprised that the county acquiesced because in the end, the county executive wants the votes of people in Yorktown just as much as. Yeah. yeah. So what they what they cited as the turning point in breaking the quote unquote logjam is that the federal government just approved one point two million dollars also for this same project. So that the town has federal money now, in addition to this uh, DEP money helping toward bringing sewers to Yorktown. So I think like that, that kind of just, you know, say they said, OK, we can't really hold this up anymore. And, I'm you know, surprised the federal government did that because, I mean, the whole lawsuit during the Obama administration regarding affordable housing. Yeah, but I don't think yeah. they were necessarily aware of the that, that this was being tied up over this affordable housing dispute when they approved the money. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was just they they saw this as an infrastructure project and okay. um, they were putting money toward it. I don't think they're necessarily taking sides in the affordable housing debate. Yeah, yeah. But so in his quote to me, uh, George Latimer said that protecting safe drinking water through the sewer project is too important to be used as leverage. Uh, that was his word. He put leveraging quotes. There are two important public policy issues. We are committed to advancing affordable housing and addressing pollution that threatens our drinking water. Uh, the county intends to correct the sewer system deficiency separately and work to get the right commitments from the town on housing. These are not mutually exclusive goals. So they've kind of bifurcated these issues now. And he was trying to, you know, he was trying to use it as leverage clearly. And, you know, Matt Slater, yeah, he, he's being very diplomatic. He says, you know, it's not, it wasn't a game of chicken. From the outside, it kind of seemed like it, it looked like, you know, who's going to blink first? Uh, yeah. Who's going to? So, but, you know, he, he, he said it wasn't. Um, you know, he said he was thrilled to hear Latimer's statement. And one thing he said that was important to get across, he said, um, 
When we reviewed the policies with the county, it was quite clear that the town does not put up barriers to affordable housing. A developer can come into Yorktown today and propose affordable housing today. There's no prohibition. There's no barrier on that. I recognize people who think that's not good enough and there should be a mandate on that. I think the town should be encouraging and incentivizing affordable housing rather than mandating it. You know, there's kind of a difference of opinion there, whether it's man- it needs to be mandated or whatnot. So that's kind of where the whole issue lies. Do you think, uh, real quick, do you think that Matt Slater running for assembly impacted Latimer's decision? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, because he, he'll be in control of state funds. To, uh, I mean, I'm just just <laughs> thinking outside the box there. I don't know. It could be. Listen, like, yeah. you know, Slater said very early on that he wasn't going to debate this issue in the public square. Unfortunately, we weren't really privy to those negotiations. He never spoke with us about it. Uh, the county was quiet, too. I know somebody tried to even foil email communications between the two sides, but there were apparently none to be found. So mm. <laughs> these discussions, yeah, either took place offline or those emails were disappeared so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, bob i'm gonna jump to you because we do have i do have to uh end this podcast in 10 minutes two actually really quite interesting stories in maypac so um start with either one of them but um i i know that both of them are going to raise eyebrows so well in this week's uh maypac news the front page story which has been picked up as of this morning oh, yep, yep. on several facebook groups have picked up on it I was a supervisor on town board meetings. They would have two public comment sessions where people could get up to the podium and talk. And one was for agenda items only. And then the other one was what they called new business, where they could ask a question pretty much about anything related to town business. Under Mike Cazari's... We lost you, Bob. I will finish up a little bit what Bob is is talking about. Basically, under Cazari's uh, administration... He got rid of the new business public comment period, and I know that has upset some people in town. And I guess Supervisor Kazari's position is that uh, people can contact him and, and the town board members directly, you know, via email or phone calls, and so it doesn't need to be you know raised at a meeting. So, so I know there are many people upset by that, Bob. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah. 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 Yeah, people are complaining about it. Mike Borelli, former town councilman, got up and railed against it because they say you can write in or hmm. call, but like Borelli pointed out, you know, the taxpayers can't hear your response. So, you know, by law, they're not required to have any public comment if they don't want to, but, you know, 99.9% of all hmm. boards, school and town allow it. Under Schmidt's administration, these things could uh, spiral out of control, and there was some circus-like atmosphere. Kazari's trying to control that. Some people aren't happy with this it, particular approach. You know, there's ways to control it, you know, besides getting rid of the uh, comments during the new business. I mean, just, I mean, I think one way to make it not circus is, you know, anyone who, who, who starts doing name-calling or whatever. I mean, I guess you can kind of create some kind of decorum without getting rid of the com- yeah. comment section altogether. That's always yeah. hard to legislate. Set down some yeah. parameters there. It's always hard to legislate. And, and, and one part is to limit. But I'm, I'm assuming he's saying the time they're speaking. I don't know. But in Yorktown, in Yorktown, for example, it's three minutes. And then, you know, the clock starts beeping. And 20, most people minutes, get the, you know, but, um, Yeah, Bob, we're, we're still having trouble hearing you. Um, so uh, I, I know the other thing you talked about, uh, you wanted to talk about, was a new um, hotel. I guess the planning board is... I guess possibly considering a boutique hotel. Correct. Yeah. At the planning board meeting last night. Yeah. You guys are going in and out on my audio as well. I think it's all right. Well, anyway, gentlemen, uh, I, I appreciate this. Uh, you know, this was a, a brief podcast today. 
And, uh, you know, I appreciate your time. Bob, sorry, you know, we'll have to get your uh, internet figured out so we can have a better connection next time. And I don't know, Brian, I, I, you said that you had something, you know, other things. You no, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, yeah. I always have a lot to say. I'm always passionate about what's going on in my town. But real quick, Bedford yeah. is welcoming a new DeChico and Sons. It's actually March 25th, so it'll, it'll come out. But it'll be it'll be open by the time this opens. You know, it's new supermarkets. People always love that. There's also Silver Jubilee celebration, 25th anniversary for Support Connection, a great organization in Yorktown. There, that'll be that'll be April 1st. They're having it's at the Villa Barona May Pack. You know that they're a great organization, and it's uh, spring sports season. I love spring sports. I love being outside, getting the fresh air, and you know, attending some you know lacrosse games or whatnot. So excited for that. So that's great. Tom, <laughs> tell me of anything else. Uh, no, same thing. We have um, there is going to be a, a march for peace for the Ukraine in North Salem on uh, on Sunday, the 27th. So there'll be, you know, obviously after this podcast comes out, but we will be there. We'll have uh, pictures and a full write up of everything that goes there, you know, that supported that ongoing situation. And uh, same as Brian. Excited. I got Tigers lacrosse opens up on <laughs> Saturday. So very uh, yeah. excited to get, uh, get outside. I uh, I just want to say I, I was definitely appreciative of, uh, you know, all of our coverage. I know uh, several of our newspapers have had uh coverage of, of Ukraine rallies and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to, you know, show what's happening on a local level on a larger global issue. So thank you for your coverage and all that. Anyway, I'm going to end today and have a great rest of your week, everybody. Thanks, Brett. Thanks. Thanks. See you next week. Bye-bye.